Uh, and I would encourage you guys to do that, especially with Doug's sermon series on Nehemiah in the mornings. Uh, it's been great, and I'm also a big fan of Nehemiah. So, um, But because of time constraints and because I didn't want to spend you know, forever going over the allotment of the land in the book of Joshua. We're, we're going to wrap up Joshua tonight. And you may have noticed this is a big chunk. We went from Joshua 11 to Joshua 23. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to give you a quick summary right now, and we're going to move right past it. But if you have questions, if you look at these things, if you see something and, you, and you're curious about it, feel free to write me an email, uh, phone call. Um, I even like going out to coffee. Many of you know I drink coffee all day long. So if you want to go and get a coffee and talk about questions or anything in Joshua, let me know. I'd love to chat with you. But to give you an overview of what we're not talking about tonight, chapters 13 to 21 are basically all about details and allotment of the land. So the first 10 or 11 chapters of Joshua is them pushing out the Canaanites and winning these battles and winning these wars and defeating these kings. And then the middle section and and, and the back half of the book is really about the allotment of the land, who gets what, where, why. Uh, Chapter 13 talks about going in and just taking it. Now now that these kings are all defeated, God basically tells the Israelites, go and take the land. Chapters 14 to 19 are basically all about which group of people get which boundary and where they get to live, Um, which is really fascinating in modern times as well. If you look at sort of, if you're a historical person, you like to look at the history of that region of the world. Uh, It's really fascinating. But so 14 and 19 are all about the western boundaries, because if you remember the tribes of Manasseh, and I forget the other one, east of the Jordan were already settled. And then chapter 20 and 21 are about worship, about worshiping God and about the new practices the people of Israel should have in place in the promised land. Uh, And then the final three chapters, 22, 23, and 24, focus on serving the Lord. Uh, And this is where we find ourselves tonight. We're going to focus on the importance of serving the Lord and wrap up the story of Joshua. Uh, And then next week, which is going to take us all the way to Christmas, it's hard to kind of imagine that uh, we're going to start a sermon series that's going to take us to the end of the year. Uh, We're going to start a sermon series, which I'm really, really excited about. Uh, You know, I I get really excited about doing these things at the beginning, and then as they go, I start thinking about the next one, and I start kind of getting excited for the next one. Uh, The next one's going to be a lot of fun. I'm calling it New Covenant Arguments which basically we're going to go through the New Testament, all the different epistles. So uh, Romans and First and Second Corinthians and Hebrews and Colossians and all of these different things. But we're just going to spend kind of one week or two weeks in each letter. And we're going to talk about the major problems people had in the first century with believing this stuff. Because the Apostle Paul, when he wrote these letters, was writing to address problems in the church. And so we're going to go through some of these major problems, and we're going to look at them. We're going to look at uh, arguments for belief, overcoming unbelief, finding hope. We're going to go through the problems in the first century, and I think you'll all be, I mean, maybe not surprised, but I think you'll all be very pleased at how applicable they still are today. Uh, It's sort of apologetics mixed with a New Testament survey. So if you like apologetics, if you like having reasons for faith, and you like really sort of talking through rationale, uh, I think you'll like the next couple of months. Um, But so tonight, we're still in Joshua, though, and we need to finish. Um, Joshua ends, the book of Joshua, rather, ends with Joshua's farewell address. If you remember, we began it with Moses' farewell address at the end of Deuteronomy. Um, Joshua's sort of leadership role starts when Moses is on his way out. And Moses, if you remember, is very old and on his deathbed and, and, and tells Joshua all of these things. And now Joshua finds himself there. Imagine you're at the end of your life and, and you have a chance to write down what's most important. 
and you want to convey this message to your family, to your friends, to your co-workers, to those you've worked for and those you've worked with your whole life, the generations to come, what legacy, what would you want to say to someone? This is essentially what this chapter is in the book of Joshua. So please follow along with me. It's a bit of a longer passage, um, but uh, very, very good, I think you'll find. So starting in verse 1. After a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then old and well-advanced in years, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am old and well-advanced in years. It's very obvious, you know, I'm old now. Verse 3, you yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Great Sea in the West. The Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. He will push them out before you and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Be very strong and be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside from the right or to the left. And do not associate with those nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. And the Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given to you. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as every good promise of the Lord your God has come true, so the Lord will bring on you all the evil he has threatened until he has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, it starts out really encouraging, and then it ends with this sort of ominous note. Hey, just don't ruin it, otherwise this is all going to go sour for you. Um, which is true, and we'll get to that. But, but he starts, as I said, in verse 1, he's old, basically. I mean, we don't know exactly how old. We know Joshua was about 110 uh, when he died, so about 25 years after the conquest was finished. Um, so they've, been, they've settled. They, they've been growing crops. They got their houses. They're, they're kind of doing their thing. And, and Joshua says, hey, listen, it's time for me to give my farewell address because I don't think I'm going to last much longer. And so he, we see in verse 2 to 3, he gets all the leaders together and he gives this address, all the elders and the priests and all these people. And he says, listen, here's what's most important. Stop and look and see what your Lord has done for you. God has fought for you. Stop and think about that for a second. You know, I, I personally do this a lot. 
I'm not an overly nostalgic person. If you ask my close friends, um, they'll sometimes say that I, I, I just sort of move on way too quickly. Uh, and, but I read this, and many of you know I was, I was back in the U.S., and I got a chance to go to my hometown. I, 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 like many of you, have moved around a lot, maybe not between different countries and everything, but, but I don't really have a hometown. You know, some of, some of us are lucky enough to sort of have the same town and the same house all growing up. I sort of was all over the place. So I got to kind of just pick my favorite one growing up, and I made that my hometown. And so I was in my hometown, and I'm driving around, though, and, and it was really odd. Because I'm driving around, and, and I'm playing tour guide for Jenna, and she's sort of like, okay, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's where I used to do this, and that's where I used to do this. And she's like, okay, okay, okay. But I remember being really moved afterwards and thinking about it, especially this last week as I was writing this and thinking, what are the amazing things God's done in my life since I lived there? I mean, it's been over 20 years, right about 20 years, I guess. I moved when I was 13 or 14. Right about 20 years since I moved, and I was thinking of the things God has done in my life in that time. I mean, I became a Christian there just very barely, but I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) I had no idea what I was getting myself into. You know, I've shared this story with you guys before. I never thought I'd even leave California as a child. And now here I am, halfway around the world, preaching to people from the rest of the other half of the world and wondering how I got here. You know, and I look back and I see what Joshua is saying and I realize exactly what he's saying. He's saying, stop and look and see what God has not just done for you, but how God has fought for you. I mean, look at your life, really. Stop and think about it. God hasn't just blessed you and given you. God has fought for you. God has given us opportunity and education and wealth and means. And when I look at the past, I see God's goodness in so many ways. Remember when they crossed the Jordan River, what did they do? The Israelites stopped and set up stones of remembrance. Not just so that they would remember, but their children would remember, and their children's children, and their children's children's children, and, and, and so on. You get it. And it's not without hardship. We know after they crossed the Jordan River, there were still bad things that happened. Things got a little rough. There was the whole taking treasure thing, if you remember. There wasn't, it wasn't that their journey was without hardships. But Joshua is just saying, listen, look back and first of all things, be grateful to God for what he's done. And then he says in verses 4 and 5, he says, now, now, now remember what God has done, but then also remember that God has also given you an inheritance for the future. So it's not just that God has taken care of your past, but God has also said, hey, I'm also taking care of your future. I, I did that, and now I'm going to do that too. Hey, what else do we need? God has given us all that we need, and he will keep fighting for you. So then in verse 6, he says, It's time to worship God. Don't worry about your your past. Look at the great things God has done. Trust your future and therefore worship God. It says in verse 6, be careful to obey everything written in the book of the law of Moses because that's what's most important. Don't worry about your inheritance. That is secure with God. Don't worry about your future. That is secure with God. Focus on the book that he has given you. See, the great thing about God is that when we actually look at this and sort of pull away from our lives, we see, wow, look at all the great things God has done. My my future is secure with Christ on high forever. So this in-between time, God frees us up that we would love and care for other people. 
That we don't worry about, you know, what's going to happen after we die because we know that today and tomorrow we can live one day at a time and be God's hands and feet on this earth. See, some people think that Jesus, when he came, kind of did away with the Old Testament. But but it's just not the case, as many of us know, that, that the Old Testament is so similar. That God took care of their past and he took care of their future. And he said, you need to love one another and live in a way that glorifies God just the same. And so, much like Jesus said that we are on a path and that we are following him, he said, Joshua says, don't turn from your right or from the left. You're on a path. Don't turn away from it. Focus on what matters. And don't get mixed up with other gods. You know, sometimes today we read something like this and we think, oh, this is you know, ethnocentrism and, and God doesn't like other cultures. And that's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is, is worshiping other gods. And he says, and he actually warns the people, if you start marrying these Canaanites, then your children are going to start worshiping other gods. And if you read the book of Judges, what happens? They start marrying the Canaanites, and their children start worshiping other gods. God warns them, and they still do it. But he says, hey, don't get distracted from this path I have you on. Move forward, trust me, and, and, and what does he say? What is the word it uses? It says to hold fast, in verse 8, to the Lord your God. A different version, if you have, I read out of the English Standard Version usually, and it says, which is even a better word, I think it says to cling to the Lord your God. Now, the first thing I think about, well, we'll get, we'll, we'll get to that. I, I want to show you a picture real quick. Um, Tomas, will you go to the next slide? Uh, some of you may recognize this. Does anyone off the top of their head know where this is in the world? Huh? Go America. It's Yosemite Valley in California. Um, this is one of my two or three favorite places on the planet. And it's a big glacial valley that's all granite. Back in the back, there's a mountain called Half Dome, which is kind of that one way back there. Um, if you have a Mac, you actually recognize this. This became your screensaver uh, involuntarily when you updated. Um, but there's a big flat slab of granite on your left. Uh, and that's called El Capitan. Uh, it's pretty hard to understand what that means. It's Spanish for captain. Um, (laughs) It's about 900 meters uh, or 3,000 feet, and it's a granite face. I mean, it's got some contours, but it's basically straight up and down. And if you've ever been there, it's really neat because you can go and you can watch people climb up, rock climbers. You know, and so you sit there and you sort of watch and you kind of have to focus. You focus and you, oh, there's one. And you see them kind of shimmy in their way up, and they'll go across, and they, you, know, you see the whole thing. And occasionally people will do it over two days because they get tired, and so they have these hammocks. They bolt into the side of the, the rock, and they sleep halfway up. It's really interesting. So, so this is El Capitan. And some of you know this. There's also a group of climbers um, that don't use ropes. Uh, there's a group of people in the world. They call them free climbers. I call them stupid. Um... <laughs> But there's people, I mean, there's bouldering, which is one thing, because it's kind of small, and if you fall, oh, you might. But there are people who climb things like this without ropes and without helmets and, and, and without help and, and assistance. And um, go to the next slide. This is a guy named Alex Hunold. Alex is the first person this summer to free solo climb El Capitan, and he did it in under four hours. This man... Huh? Plus the move. Yeah, plus the, which, this is this overhang, it's awful. This man climbed up a 900-meter 
granite face without ropes. Now, why do I show this? Uh, one, I just love showing pictures of California whenever I can. But two, when I thought of clinging to God, aside from the fact that free climbers are crazy people, this is the first thing I thought of. Imagine being this guy. This is right near the top, actually. They're taking a picture of him as he's finishing. Because um, what he did was illegal. <laughs> but they're taking a picture of him climbing up. And so this is towards the end of his climb. He's probably exhausted. He, 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 I mean, if any of you have ever been rock climbing, it's, it's one of those things where the first time you do it, you think it's fun. And then two or three times later, your hands are just like shaking uncontrollably. And the next day, you can't grab anything. But his hands are probably exhausted. He's tired. He's all of these different things. But I think of how tightly this guy as experienced and talented as he is as a climber, what his clinging would look like. And when he holds on to something, when he trusts his grip, that he knows it would not let go. I love the image of clinging and holding fast to something as if your life depends on it, because when we think about someone like this, it absolutely does. He's seven, eight hundred, almost nine hundred meters up, and if, and if he loses his grip, it he, he dies. And Joshua is saying to the people, I believe, in verse 8, he says, hold fast to the Lord your God, because your life depends on it. Because if you do not, if you stray from this path that God has for you, and you, you fall into the traps and the snares, it leads to death. And that is why the back half of this passage is so heavy and seems so, mm, I don't really like that whole language he uses. It's so violent. He's saying, no, if, if you... Flee from this, it leads to death and destruction. God is with us. Do we hold fast to him? Look at your life. See how God has been there. Hold fast to God moving forward. I've talked to a lot of people over the years, and they've said that they struggle to see God, or they look at their past and they think, gosh, I just don't see God. It's so hard. I don't know how to get over this. And, and, and one of the things I've come to realize is there's a lot of things that block us. You know, there's a lot of difficulties in life. There's a lot of hardships. And I don't want to just explain those things away. We all have different stuff we deal with. But I know God is there. I know God is with you. And I think for many of us, and again, this is from my own experience, but many of the people I've talked to the reason we can't see God is because of this sin of envy and jealousy in our life. You know, we, we see others' lives and we think, where's God in our life? Look how great their life is. Why don't I have what they have? Why isn't what I'm going through what they're going through? It's not fair. We see what others have or what we do not have and then we question God because of circumstance. Well, let me just let you know and remind you that, that envy and coveting is a sin. And that the Ten Commandments, it's all the way down at the bottom. It's number 10, but it's still on the list. It's a bad idea. You know, and sometimes when we can't see God, we're looking too much at the circumstances and we're, we want other people's lives or we want an easier life or an easier job or a better job or their house or whatever it is. And many of the people I've talked to as a pastor and over the years, it's not that they don't see God, it's that they're looking at other things. 
They're looking at what their friend has and what their neighbor has. And, and I remember as a kid, one of my biggest blocks to God was that, and I've shared this with you before, I think that, you know, I, I didn't have a dad growing up. And I remember seeing friends who had great relationships with their fathers and thought, this isn't fair. I was just jealous and envious of what other people had, not looking at how God was actually loving me. And not seeing how God was caring for me, but I was just looking at what other people had. We all have our own struggles. We all have our own hurts. But let me just remind you of this. Social media and reality TV has kind of ruined us to reality because we only see the best of everyone else's life. Right? We only see what people want us to see. Just remember that when you're tempted to, to covet or to be envious or to ask God why you don't have what someone else or something else, remember that everyone has their own struggles. Remember that everyone has their own stuff. And I don't think that God has abandoned you. In fact, I know God hasn't abandoned you. I'm 100% confident of that. And this is why Joshua, on his deathbed, Remember, he's old. (laughs) He says that. I'm old and well advanced in years. This is what you need to know. Verse 11. Be very careful to love the Lord your God. Not just, hey, love God. But be very careful. Be intentional to love the Lord your God because there is snares and traps and holes along the way. There's holes of envy. There's holes of, I mean, you go through the whole seven deadly sins. There's holes of everything. And when we stray from the path and when we leave the road God is calling us to, we fall into those traps and we lose sight of what God is doing. And as we talked about then in verses 14, 15, and 16, he makes a very important distinction. He says, it's not going to go well for you if you don't. And one of the words he says that I really love, and I want to start to wrap up with this, is that He says in verse 14, he said, now I'm about to go the way of the earth. I'm going to die. But let me remind you of this. You know, not you should know, not go ask somebody, but you know with all your heart and your soul. You know who God is. You know God is good. You have seen it with your own eyes. Don't try and convince yourself otherwise. See, I'm convinced that many people who either uh, try God or, or, or were Christians or maybe aren't Christians anymore just decided to argue or talk themselves out of it. I think most people want to worship God and want to trust God, but they're afraid because they say, what if? What if it's not true? What if it's not really true? What if, what if all this stuff is a lie? They want to worship. In fact, if you look at the history of humanity, everyone's religious. Every society has had religion. Every society has had the desire to worship something. Even atheist regimes that said they were outside of God created atheism as something as the highest ideal for the people to worship and live under. People want to worship. People want to know who God is. I believe that. But people aren't willing to do this. People aren't willing when they see this and they see God and they they look back at their life and other things distract them and and they can't see it. But what Joshua, excuse me, says to the people is not one promise. You know this. Not one promise of God has failed you. Look at your life and see. God has not lied to you, nor will God lie to you. 
In fact, if you want to go New Testament, you know, remember in James chapter 1, Jesus' brother James says that, let none of us say that God is tempting us, for it is our own hearts that tempt us and lead us astray. And what's amazing about our God is this, is if you read the book of Judges, which is the next book in the Bible, it follows this pattern. The Israelites walked with God and things went really, really well, and then they stopped. (laughs) And then bad things happened. And then God sends someone to help them and to save them. And then they, they, they did well for a while, and then it, and then it, it happened again. And then, and then and you read through the whole Bible. That's the story, right? People are good, then they're bad. People are good, then they're bad. And God saves, 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 over and over and over and over and over again. How amazing is our God that every single time we, 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 we fall into a hole, we, we get tripped, we, we go off the road, there is God waiting for us to say, we're still here. No promise of mine will fail you. I have promised you hope in the future. I have said in 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, for that is what we are. And no matter what we do when we leave, when we run, when we pretend we know better than God, like the story of the prodigal son, he's there in the driveway waiting for us to come home. How great is our God? And this is what Joshua is telling the people is most important. He's saying there's good and there's evil. Choose good. It's the same thing Moses said to the people. He said, you have two options here. I'm telling you right now, choose good and it will go well for you. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean there's not battle. It doesn't mean there's not hardship. It doesn't mean there's not tricky things. What it means is that it's trusting God. And he says, above all else, cling to God. Hold fast to God. You know, we read back through the book of Joshua, and when Joshua was at his best, he was praying and trusting God. And when he was at his worst, it's when he ran off to do something on his own. When the people of Israel became envious and jealous, it did not go well. (laughs) If you remember the story in Exodus, it's one of my favorite Bible stories that we never tell. So, you remember the golden calf story? Yeah, so we always tell this story, and we don't actually talk about what happened afterwards. Um, So Moses comes down, and and the people of Israel, they wanted a golden calf to worship because they were envious, because every nation had an idol they would worship, a statue of some kind. And so they say, let's make a golden calf, and they do it. But you know what happens afterwards? You know, Moses comes down to the mountain, he gets so mad, and we say that God, like, punished the people, and I don't ever remember hearing the second half of the story until one day I was in... I don't know if it was college or seminary, but I remember being in an Old Testament class and my professor, with a similar sort of glee that I have right now, he said, we don't tell the back half of the story. They melted it down and made all the people drink it. And a bunch of people died because they drank liquid molten gold because of their sin and they had to be punished for their idolatry in saying they knew better than God. Now, to be fair, I don't think that's going to happen to you. And I hope it doesn't. It won't. But think about what's behind the story. God is saying, I have given you everything you need. And I've taken care of your past and I've taken care of your future so that that does not happen to you. Trust me. So that you can be free. That's what Jesus said when he said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He says, trust me so you can be free and and go love and go care for people and go be my hands and feet. Be strong and courageous as he told Joshua. And he tells them, he says, hey, you have this inheritance and it's really great. You have this land been promised to you and it's awesome. 
You know, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you need to be kind of strong and courageous like Joshua to trust God with a really difficult thing you've been hanging on to. Maybe you need to trust God's timing. Maybe you have no idea what's happening in life right now. You know, and and this is how I want to end and go into communion tonight is that God is here. God is here for you, God is here with you, and God will be with you. And even if you don't know if you understand and believe the whole Joshua thing, that's fine. Um, We have a perfect representation of God being with us tonight to celebrate. Um, When Jesus Christ died, he, he told his disciples that I am giving my body and my blood for you. Not just so that you would know how much I love you, but so that your inheritance, our inheritance, would be secure. That because Christ died on the cross and rose again on the third day and ascended to the right hand of God, we can be assured that we will one day be with him forever. And so tonight we're going to take communion, and and I want you to think about that. When there's doubt, when there's fear, when there's uncertainty about the future, think about that your life is secured. Your life is hid with Christ on high. There is, if you believe in Jesus Christ and you believe in what this table represents, your inheritance is secure. You are free to love and to care and to be his hands and feet in this world. And if you don't know, and if you aren't sure, ask somebody, ask me. We can talk about it and talk about what this table represents because I can I believe, prove to you that Jesus Christ is there for you. He has been there for you. He will be there for you. And that not one, just like Joshua said to the Israelites, not one of God's promises will go unfulfilled in your life. Before I get too emotional, I just want to invite you. I want to invite you to this table tonight. And I want to invite you in a way that when you come through and you, and you partake of the bread and, and, and the cup, think about what God has done for you. Think about one thing that you're fearful or anxious for for the future. And before you come through, maybe when you're standing in line, maybe in your seat, whatever it is, just pray that God would take it. And say, God, I don't know what to do with this. Even if it's just relieve my anxiety for the rest of the night, that I can have a good night's sleep. And trust that he wants that for you so that you can be present at the table tonight. Because he desires his children to be free. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done this for us. Not one of God's promises will go unfulfilled. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for this table. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who gave all that we would have life. Lord, as we prepare our hearts and our minds to take communion now, Father, I pray that we would be honest with you. Lord, we would be honest with our doubts and our fears, our anxieties. Lord, we know how stressful and hard life can be, God, but we desire to trust you. As Psalm 1 says, Lord, we desire to be like a tree planted by living waters, and that the, water of, that the living water would feed and nourish our souls. Lord, we desire to be free. When we look at our past, we want to see your love. We want to see how you've cared for us, how you've fought for us. And Lord, when we look to our future, we trust you. And Lord, in those places we do not trust, in those places we have anxiety, Lord, teach us. 
surround us with people to encourage us, love us, and be there for us. That in our darkest days, Father, we would be able to rest on the shoulders of our brothers and sisters in Christ. As we go forward, Lord, let us go forward together as your body, your bride, whom you love. Amen.